0: Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns
1: show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Gun show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Ty Kersley, and tonight the show is about the principles to dismantle gun violence. But first, the immemorium.
2: In tonight's In Memoriam, we honor two young men who were killed while protesting the police shooting of Jacob Blake. The Kenosha News reported that local protest organizers said both Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber had participated in demonstrations this spring and summer, beginning with the May death of George Floyd after a Minnesota police officer pressed his knee into the handcuffed man's neck. Joseph Rosenbaum was a young man and a father to a little girl. He had recently moved to Wisconsin from Texas. He worked in food service. His sister wrote on his Facebook page, You're with the angels now, bro. Joseph was an activist who attended many of the Black Lives Matter protests in Kenosha. On the night he was killed, video shows him following the gunman into a used car lot. Joseph lost his life attempting to disarm the shooter anthony huber was described by friends and neighbors as a friendly fun-loving guy he was an activist who consistently attended protests organized by the black lives matter movement he was twenty six anthony was dedicated to his skating and was known for his amazing skills and humor his girlfriend Hannah Giddings, said he had nothing but love in his heart for the city of Kenosha. His skating pal described him as a good father to his girlfriend's daughter. The two men often skated by the lakefront marina in Kenosha. But Anthony would try skating almost anywhere, and on most anything. The night he was killed, video shows him running at the gunmen and attempting to use his skateboard to knock the weapon out of his hand. These two men died while exercising their right to peacefully protest. They will no longer be part of the Black Lives Matter protests. They will not share another meal or hug with their family or laugh with their friends. They died while trying to protect others. Joseph Rosenbaum, we remember you. Anthony Huber, we remember you.
1: Okay, once again, this is Ty Kersley with Radio Gag. I have two guests tonight, um, Sarah Kanishnik and Chris Patterson. Um, I have met them by being a gun violence prevention activist, and they are as well. Uh, Normally, I would get into the news. I will quickly say before I introduce them, I did want to check on Kenosha after the Trump visit. And as far as I can see now, it says earlier in the day, a few hundred supporters and detractors of Trump gathered in the city center intersection of Kenosha, mixing and engaging each other and shouting matches at times. But there were no reports of violence. And that comes from ABC. We will be discussing this, but I just want to see uh, Sarah. Chris, are you there? We are. Yes. Thank you.
2: Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: All right. And thank you, Reggie, for getting this to work for all of us. Um, Okay, so, Sarah, we wanted to discuss, I want to do a proper introduction. Sarah, you are with the Newtown Action Alliance. You're the Director of Community Engagement. And, Chris, you're with Institute for Nonviolence Chicago, and you're the Senior Director of Programs and Policy. One of the reasons that I... Yes, great. One of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is because Sarah and I were talking about this platform and how... Um, Gays Against Guns, uh, has been able to use this half an hour time that WBI gives us to talk about gun violence and gun violence prevention. So although we have tons that's going on with Kenosha and everything, I think we can dissect this and talk about it and then relate it to the work that you're doing. Um, So if you want to just talk about the news first, let's just get that in. We we had the immemorial, which we do every show, where we pay tribute to someone who's lost their life to gun violence. Of course, we have the two protesters from um, the the Kenosha shooting. So I want to talk to you about uh, what we were talking about before, Sarah, the, how all of these came together.
0: Well, I really see Kenosha as a really a- – ideal example or really of of my worst dreams coming true. I've been a gun violence prevention advocate for about five years now, and I, I have seen since almost the very beginning of my work that there's a really clear connection between gun violence in impacted, underserved communities, usually urban settings, and gun violence that occurs everywhere else. Uh, And this one event, this one high-profile event, I think really can help us see that connection better than than any other we've seen in recent years. And I really feel like we have two crises in America um, in terms of gun violence. And the first is, of course, the first and most urgent problem we need to address is um, the way uh, lack of racially just systems, uh, lack of racial justice in our systems and in our institutions, and how that leads to um, the kinds of tragedies that um, Jacob Blake and George Floyd experienced. Uh, but the second crisis that we have is the easy accessibility of firearms uh, and the fact that it's so easy for people who are not qualified to carry firearms to get them. And that is epitomized really um, by the 17-year-old shooter who shot three protesters in Kenosha and killed two of them. And I really um, appreciate that Chris was able to join me today and I appreciate all the the partnership uh, that he and I have been engaged in, in in the last several years because I really see the two of us um, for the sake of tonight's uh, interview anyway, uh, representing those two crises and how by working together, uh, we can help everyone see that if a child on the south side of Chicago in an impacted or underserved community is unsafe from gun violence, then a child in a privileged community uh, in a wealthy, say, suburb is also unsafe from gun violence. The two types of gun violence are connected. And with that, I'd like to hand it over to Chris, who really can can speak with a voice of authority on what it takes to end gun violence as an acute problem and also the kinds of changes we need to see and that will lead to more justice in our policing and um, other types of institutions. Chris?
3: Yeah, well, thank you, Sarah. Um, and I appreciate it. Uh the opportunity to speak on this. Uh, So there's a couple of things as I think about Kenosha, I see, you know, it's an outward display of violence, which is obviously, for the optics, it's easy to see. But this level of violence has been going on in African-American communities from those who who stand in the way of us pronouncing that we want to have freedoms and we want the same type of freedoms that the rest of the United States or, you know, at least from this vantage point, the rest of the United States has And so while we see a young man shooting, you know, peaceful protesters, people exercising their First Amendment rights, we were not it's not too far off from everyone being dissatisfied with any time African-Americans are speaking up. When there was a kneel being taken uh, for Kaepernick, and that was a that was an outrageous grievance. Um, And so, you know, we I don't know. It's just at the end of the day, it's just really figuring out, like, how do you get a fair shake? at some of the, the most basic liberties that uh, Americans are supposed to enjoy. And then, then there's the population of people who just downright uh, don't agree and don't want to see those kind of liberties exercised. And so as you're thinking about, you know, I think about places like Kenosha and I'm thinking about places like Chicago where I work. And at the end of the day, the the lack of resources and um, opportunities for people of color, primarily those of African-American. If it was, you know, any any Trump supporter was dealt with the same hand uh, and had any good sense, then they would be, you know, speaking out and protesting, too. Um, and so it just, it, li- it really leads to this dynamic where uh, a sense of hopelessness in communities like, or cities like Chicago, uh, around African-American communities, where unemployment rate is at 50-plus percent you know, when, when Trump was running for office, he said, what do you have to lose? Your schools are messed up. You have 50 plus percent unemployment. Um, and he's been president for almost four years. And we're still in that same situation, if not worse. So, you know, if, if when you provide an opportunity, uh, as Sarah spoke about, for communities like the one I live and work in um, around the board, I, I challenge them to provide those levels of opportunities so that we can then rise to the occasion. We don't need to keep bumping heads with law enforcement over police in our communities, um, you know, when that when that sense of hope is, is in place. Right. So, uh, you know, I appreciate, you know, the, the, the partnerships there and I have um, and, and, and other people in Chicago trying to move the needle on this. Uh, but Kenosha is just an example of what is happening every day in in, in, in America. We just so happen to see it attached to a assault rifle this time.
1: Right. And it's and- all
0: coming together around one event right
1: so. right so this discussion uh i decided to call the show the principles to dismantle gun violence and that should sound familiar to you chris what well, we've identified the three you know problems the two main problems being access to guns and then um like you said over policing do you also see this as a representation of the battle that you're dealing with and how you, you did say that before, but what principles are you looking for to try to solve these issues? Because we can highlight them. Like you said, there's people that are ignoring them or want this to happen for some reason. What are some of the principles yeah. you would... Go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it's, it's fairly simple for us on the ground here in Chicago. And I would imagine it looks the same way in New York and Los Angeles. You know, there's no mistake that, you know, men who look like myself and younger... Um, are not given the same opportunities, period. Our schools are not funded to the same level. Uh, We have schools that are part of one system here in Chicago, the Chicago public school system, and yet a a school in Lincoln Park, which is a fluent community, looks completely different than a a school that's in the West Garfield Park, one of the poorest neighborhoods in the the city. So now that's not by happenstance. And for elected officials and whoever uh, is pulling a purse string, should just know in their conscious that you know a third grader is not given the same opportunities that another third grader has, right? That's unconscionable. That 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 could be part of the dynamic, and people still allow it to happen, right? And so, you know, the the, the unemployment rate, the the targeting of African American men in the justice system uh, for you know, um draconian crack laws, even though they're, they're a smaller percentage of those who even use hard drugs and yet the majority of those who are incarcerated. And so what happens with a young African American man or any African American man who has now a felony record, uh, just trying to get an employment opportunity or a job that's gonna be living wages is isn't a is an impossible task in a lot of cases. And so, again, like we have, meaning housing as well, right? So you have this situation that is it's a complete setup where you can't get an opportunity to have a job, housing, um, and oftentimes schools have failed. And for us in the African-American community, yeah, there there always needs to be, and in any community, there always needs to be a strong family network. But the community safety support has always been a safety net for everyone else. So if you're living in a place like the one I work in, the one I live in, and if you don't have um, a strong family network, then your community needs to be a safety net. In this case, it's not, and that is a government. That is a society problem.
0: Can I, can I, right. um, kind of add and make the I'd like to try to make the connection now to
1: yes, um,
0: The the second crisis we talked about, which is the easy accessibility of firearms by people who are not qualified to have them, and the point uh, Chris was just making about how. It's a, it's a failure on the part of our government and our society that we're not providing um, services through communities um, that people in impacted communities need. That That is a failure because there have been forces at play over the last several decades in the U.S. who are not focused on getting those impacted communities the types of services they need. Instead, they've the government, the the social, the, our community leaders have abdicated that responsibility, and in the void, have stepped the the corporate gun lobby. And what they've done instead yeah. is stoke fear among people who live outside of of impacted communities. And they the corporate gun lobby has spent my entire adult life. I'm 48 years old, uh, telling people, um, mainly people of privilege. Mostly white people that they should fear black and brown people, and they have have deliberately created a propaganda campaign based on fear to increase um, the profits of the corporate yeah. um, of the corporate gun and ammunition industries. And so, because our as leaders, uh, we have our government and social leaders have failed to fill those needs that Chris just described so eloquently. Um, it has created an opportunity for people who, who really are putting profit above people's safety and, uh, they're, and it's created an opportunity for them to really take advantage of the separation yeah. between the communities. So one of the yeah, things that could... Chris and I have worked hard at is to try to build relationships and connections between impacted communities and the communities that surround them so that based on personal relationships, we can drive some support that we hope will um, will lead to the kind of government and socioeconomic investments in these communities that they so desperately need.
1: Yeah, Sarah, I also want to I say that I to add one part. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. no, I
3: just I, I just really want to add this part. I was thinking about the irony um, the other day of how it it literally played out in front of America, where a person is shot in the back seven times um, for what could have been, for all sakes and purposes, something very minor, um, happens to be African-American, and yet somehow the person doing the real crime can literally just walk past police and not have a problem. This is like we don't need, you know, um, murderous police officers to put their their knee or foot on our neck to feel like we can't breathe. It's a, It really is a situation over time, over generations and, and centuries, in fact, where... Um, you know, that has played out. That's the irony that played out in Kenosha is what, you know, people are living across country and that we're over um, You know, there's a stigma um, of fear, like Sarah was talking about, that, that is associated with African-American men primarily. And, um, you know, at the same time, while, you know, real criminals who are looting and shooting people with AR-15s at peaceful rallies kind of get away. Right. And the,
0: the reason they're right. able to get away with it is because of the loosening of common sense gun regulations that has happened over the last few decades. But, of course, that loosening of, of restrictions on gun ownership and possession has only applied to white people. And you know, exactly. that is exactly why this 17-year-old shooter was able to walk right past, past the police officers in Kenosha, but Jacob Blake gets shot in the back. And And, and so that's what I mean when I say I feel Kenosha is is the perfect event to really illustrate how all of this violence is connected. And, And we're not safe in privileged communities if our brothers and sisters in impacted communities are not safe. And no other event in recent memory, and I've paid really close attention to this movement around the clock for the last several years, and no other event in recent memory really illustrates that point as well as this one.
1: As well, though, the problem that I'm having also is these – the people that are not at all related to anyone who has to go through the same troubles for fighting for their rights and and so forth can easily dismiss uh, the, the shooting of an unarmed black man by saying, oh, wait, it looks like there's a knife in his hand, and then they kind of let go as if, okay, I don't have to take to the streets, I don't have to worry about it. This this guy was bad anyway, and, I, and I've seen this come out of people I know, you know, this thought process, they're looking for a reason to dismiss it because it's too hard to fix, is what they're thinking. So one of the main reasons I wanted to uh, highlight, Chris, the work that you're doing is because you are bringing two communities together to understand the impact on both of them, even though they are being... Either highlighted or presented to us in a different way. So yeah,
3: absolutely. So I, there's yeah, there's a couple. So there's a thought around associated with this, and I think this is where the, the partnership with Sarah uh, comes in for us working, you know, on the ground in the city of Chicago, is because this problem is larger than us, you know. And then you know, it seems that for for so long, like we've had countless and, and, and thousands and tens of thousands of African American men and women uh, killed by handguns and it and it gets no momentum, no steam. And I do think that it's easy for even good folks, good white people who live in other communities to kind of turn and look the other way because it's not us. But one of the correlations that we're drawing on and talking about when we're we are making our rounds are that there's a there's an equal number of gun deaths that are happening every year. And it's primarily white men, right? And that's by suicide. And so to think that, you know, and then when the school shootings happen and then shootings of malls, like those, those things are happening primarily outside of African-American communities on a large scale. And for me, it just, I, you know, my frustration, and we called it a few years ago, I just don't want people in affluent communities to start having their kids gunned down in the middle of the street before they start paying attention, right? And it doesn't have, it's not an African American a problem, right? It's a, it's an American problem. It's the violence a problem uh, that happens in our in our country, you know. And I and I know Sarah can definitely speak to this. It's one of the pieces that we talk about often. Uh, but we need America to wake up, right? And and I think and I'll give you the, the other correlation. The other thought around that was, you know, no one paid attention when it was African Americans overdosing on heroin until white America started overdosing on heroin. Right. And this country has a real hard time. Like, same thing with the recession was African-American. It wasn't a problem until America had a recession. And so it's like, at what point do we kind of just wake up and and get with the program and then make common sense of law? We have seatbelt laws, but we don't have
1: gun gun sense laws. All right. I do have to stop. I think the important
0: thing. Oh, I just I'll just go ahead. I'll get I'll cut something else out. Oh, I'll make it real quick. So uh, he just, Chris just made the point that we, we need common sense gun safety laws. Those can't happen without impacted and affluent communities coming together to demand that change. Um, and, and that's really, you said a few moments ago, Ty, a lot of people especially uh, who have the privilege of choosing whether or not to pay attention to the problem of gun violence in impacted communities. So in other words, people from affluent communities they, they, it's easy for them to see a reason why somebody like Jacob Blake um, may have been treated the way he was. And it's just too hard to, to, to deal with the problem. Well, Chris and I are, are here to tell everyone listening that it's not too hard to deal with the problem. We are suc- succeeding at bringing communities together uh, so that we can get the kinds of policy and legislative changes and cultural changes that we need to end both of these crises. Uh, it can be done. Um, And we'd like nothing more than to bring thousands of people along with us.
1: Uh, I want to thank you, Sarah and Chris. Once again, um, Chris Patterson is with the Institute for Nonviolence Chicago and Sarah's with Newtown Action Alliance. I want to thank you for discussing this. Like I said before, it's going to go by very fast. Um, I will say this. uh, Any other time that we have something that you want to come back and talk about, this is the platform for it or anyone else that you know uh, in uh, GVP. So we're, we're open to, um, to everyone uh, to discuss their perspective and, and the work that they're doing. So thank you again. Thank you.
2: Thank and,
1: you. And uh, once again, thank you for listening to Radio Gag. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday, and we are on every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Do not forget that you can listen to our previous shows at any time on the WBI website or on any major podcast platform.
4: Get involved by following us on social media. On Twitter, we're at GagNoGuns. On Insta and Facebook, we're Gays Against Guns New York. Like, share, tweet, watch, repost. Help us get the word out. And to find out more about having a fabulous time with us, please go to GaysAgainstGuns.net. You can learn more about our gag chapters in located nationwide. We're everywhere from L.A. to D.C. to Chicago to P-Town. And you can learn how to create your own chapter. And the biggest way that you can support our show is become a WBAI buddy. We are a unique show. You can call to pledge 516-620-3602. You can donate online www.give2wbai.org. You could send a check to Pacifica WBAI 388 Atlantic Avenue, Brooklyn 11217. But get out there, open up your wallet, and support us because you know you are an activist and you are part of community radio. And you especially know that when you give to WBAI and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. So thank you all.